Welcome back, everybody, to the Backmarkers F1 Show podcast. This is our first episode for 2021. We are uh, very close now to the first race of the season, so we thought we'd just bring you a quick little preview and look ahead to the 2021 season. Today, I am joined alongside my co-host, returning for the first time in 2021, Mr. Tyler McDonald. He's joining us via Zoom. Let's bring him in now. Tyler, welcome to the show. Thank you very much, Chris. Oh, it's great to be back. Finally, we have racing coming back to us. Uh, and if you had to get your racing fix, I've been watching a little bit of NASCAR to try and uh, to get the itch, but nothing is like uh, bringing F1 back to the television screen. I'm so pumped for this season. It's going to be a fantastic one. And uh, it's great to be back with you again for another season, Chris. Yeah, that's right. This will be our fourth official uh, season entering uh, doing the podcast and now a couple of uh, new video series that we've been doing in the last uh, couple of months. And uh, of course, if you guys want to watch qualifying with us this Saturday for the Bahrain Grand Prix, we will be doing a live stream at 10.30 a.m. Eastern time right here on our channel. Uh, Tyler will be joining me as well for that. So that should be a, a really exciting stream because I think we'll be in for a really good qualifying session, which we'll touch on a little bit in today's show. Uh, just a quick reminder that the podcast is sponsored by the GP Box. You can check out the links in the description below for exclusive discount offers from our friends at the GP Box. They are a motorsport marketplace. They mainly sell F1 merchandise, gifts, memorabilia, used F1 car parts, things like that. So go ahead and check them out uh, in the description below. And uh, if you want to get a gift or uh, one for yourself, uh, you can do so by the description, by the links in the description below. And also, if you want to support the channel directly via donation, those links can be found also in the description as well. So let's get right into it. And uh, we're going to try and maybe touch on every single team uh, in this preview so far. And we're going to see uh, if we can get through them all in, uh, in a relatively easy, speedy time so that we're not uh, taking up too much time. So where would you like to start off with? I, I think maybe I was thinking the first place that we could go to is just quick thoughts on uh, testing and if testing kind of changed your outlook or opinion on the season so far before uh, the three days of testing in Bahrain? Well, I mean, I think we go through this every year where it's like, oh, uh, you know, last year was Ferrari. Holy geez. Or, or a couple of years ago it was Ferrari. My God, they're going to be fantastic. And you know, last year, we, you know, we saw a little bit of, of hope being like, oh, maybe there'll be some sort of um, challenge to Mercedes this year. And of course, this testing session, Red Bull looked phenomenal and Mercedes really struggled with um, whatever they were testing. Now, do I think this will correlate into the season? I don't think so. Uh, and that's the tough thing about testing is that it, it's it, it's so hit and miss where you can kind of get a little sense, but Mercedes just, I feel like sandbags so much that um, it's hard to get a true sense of where everyone is compared to Mercedes during testing. But uh, I'm excited to see the midfield because the midfield looks very, very close once again this year. And that was the most exciting part of last season. Uh, so I hope that continues into 2021. Yeah, that's always a concern, right, with Mercedes is is the fact that they're sandbagging or holding pace. But the only reason I think this year is slightly different is just because we kind of saw visually how the drivers were struggling with the car. And that's something that you can't sandbag. I mean, Hamilton's not going to spin the car on purpose just to lead the competition into a, <laughs> or lull them to sleep in a false sense of security. So that's why I'm more optimistic about this season, because visually the car just looks harder to drive and looks kind of like the Red Bull did last season, uh, the RB16. So that's why I'm a little bit more positive, but there was, what, about two weeks since the Bahrain test. So mm -hmm. I think that Mercedes could possibly bring some changes to the car, whether it be through the floor or otherwise. 
Um, but I definitely think that it's going to be more closer than it was in 2021, 2020, or at least I hope it will be. <laughs> but uh, I think it's always, uh, you can't read too much into testing, but numbers and data aside, just visually, they don't look as happy. No, yeah, I agree with the the whole drivers, looking at the drivers. And like you said, Hamilton doesn't make too many mistakes. So when he does, um, everyone kind of blows up saying, oh my God, what's going on? Um It'll be interesting to see if that has to do with the 10% downforce loss as well with these cars. And if maybe Mercedes just didn't balance the, the floor properly. Uh, but again, I think we'll get a real sense uh, this coming weekend in Bahrain. I mean, I am wearing my Mercedes hat today, but uh, there's no Mercedes fanboy going on here. I'd like to see someone else win. <laughs> yeah. I tried to balance it out. So I wore, I wore the McLaren one uh, today. Uh, I'll pro I'm saving the, the Aston Martin one for, for Saturday stream. Mm -hmm. Um, but uh, we've almost got the whole whole collection of hats, which is good. So, can we talk about how nice Aston Martin's merch looks? Yeah, but not the prices. <laughs> no, not the prices. But the, the merch looks great. Same with McLaren. The McLaren looks great this year. Yeah, it, it does look fantastic. And and this one, this one, I think it cost around sixty dollars Canadian, which is about the average for a hat. It's about what I pay usually at the track. Uh, but I've kind of had a tradition in the last few seasons of every time I go to the Canadian Grand Prix, I purchase a hat in the ultimate goal of having a hat from all 10 teams. And last year, obviously I couldn't go and maybe this year I won't be able to go either. So I said, okay, I'll have, uh, I'll get two this year. So I saved up a little bit, put them aside and got this one and then the Aston Martin one. But yeah, the quality on, on the McLaren one, I must say is, uh, is better than the Aston Martin. Um, mm -hmm. The nice finer details and everything, but yeah, the, the Aston prices are, are what I would expect from Aston Martin. <laughs> It's a James Bond feeling, eh? Everyone's got lots of money. Yeah, yeah, a little bit there. Yeah, for sure. Um, but we'll see if, if the cars drive as nice as, as the merch looks, which we'll get to them in just a moment. So the next team that I wanted to go to then is obviously Red Bull, uh, which we touched on a little bit there, but they seem a lot more comfortable and, and they're probably the best testing that they've had since, man, maybe I'd go back to when they were dominating back in the early 2010s. But they yeah. had a very smooth testing, no issues, uh, other than Sergio Perez's engine cover flying off uh, during testing, that was really about it. But they look a lot more happier with that RB16B, particularly at the rear of the car. Both drivers seem pretty happy. What do you think about, first of all, Perez's transition into the team in the three days of testing? And then ultimately, is it just more hype from Red Bull? Or is there something to it now that they've kind of maybe figured out what the issues were plaguing their car last year? Well, I'm hoping that uh, the issues are figured out and that they'll, they'll be you know, title contenders this year. Um, and they look fantastic during testing. Like you said, Chris, I mean, uh, no real issues other than the engine cover. And really that's not that big of a deal. They just had to cover up all the body parts that were uh, exposed to everyone uh, taking pictures, but uh, you know, they've been really pushing to try and get that gap closed with Mercedes. Uh, I think they brought in the right driver. You we were saying that all last year, well, at least for half a season that Sergio Perez needs to be in a Red Bull. So now it'll be interesting to see, what he does in a race winning car. Is he going to challenge Verstappen? Uh, is he going to make the fight a little bit easier for Red Bull having two cars up uh, in the top four rather than one? Because uh, you know we saw Albon struggle last year so much. And if the strategy will really be the difference in, in Red Bull beating Mercedes possibly this year. Um, do I think it will happen? Well, we'll get to that in our our previews or our predictions uh, later down in, the, in, the, uh, in this preseason preview. But um, the only thing I'm concerned about with Red Bull is, yes, the reliability looks great, but they always say that maybe the car is 
is too comfortable. It, it's, you know, it's not twitchy enough and obviously twitchy and loose is fast. Um, you know, is it maybe just a, not teetering on the edge of, of ridiculously fast yet for Red Bull? And that's the only concern I have. Yeah, and I must say I was pretty impressed with how Perez was able to transition into Red Bull relatively seamlessly. He didn't seem like he was too uncomfortable or had any troubles with the car. But again, like I said, we'll be very curious to see in a couple days' time what his pace will be like in comparison to Verstappen. That will be the big thing. And also, he said that he'll take probably about five races or so to get completely comfortable with the RB16B. So, I mean, five races, not too long, I guess, in a 23-race calendar. But I'm sure that Red Bull will want him on the pace right away. If if the pace is relative to Mercedes and they're close, they're going to need those both drivers, right? I mean, we talked about that uh, for almost two seasons now. So I'm very excited to see what uh, what Perez can do. But uh, so far, so good. I think Red Bull, if you had the preseason rankings, would probably be number one. Yeah, I, I would say in terms of, of where they are um, compared to last year and, you know, um, with everyone wanting Mercedes to just not be number one. Yeah. Uh, you would hundred percent put Red Bull at number one. Um, but I've always, I feel like I've learned over the last four years that we've been doing this podcast that, you know, weekend one really sets a tone on what's actually going to happen during the season. So it'll be interesting to see, um, maybe we can touch on later, uh, the, the schedule for the season as well, just, uh, 23 races long and, Maybe we can see if those 23 races will hold up uh, throughout the season, but uh, we'll touch on that later. Absolutely. So then moving on to the next team, and we're trying just going in order. We're not going in any specific order in terms of which uh, we think will be at the finish of the season in terms of the standings. But just next, we touch on McLaren earlier, talking about the hat. But they had a very strong F1 uh, preseason testing in Bahrain. And some are even suggesting, and some, I mean Ted Kravitz, I was reading just yesterday, that he was suggesting that McLaren could possibly even be second fastest this season because they showed some really good pace in the first two days. And then day three, they just kind of quietly didn't really do much. I think Daniel Ricciardo ended up finishing with the seventh fastest time. And he was saying that they kind of didn't want to show their true pace because it was very good. Um, whether that's true or not, we'll, we'll find out very soon. But at the very least, they still had a very good testing. They've integrated the new Mercedes power unit very well. And overall, both drivers just look very, very strong. So what's your take on McLaren and, and what do you think their, their ceiling will be in 2021? Well, I mean, I think they got a great driver lineup first off. Uh, Lando going to his third season really now can be comfortable with the car, um, ha has learned the, the styles of F1, how each of the other drivers race and can really get set in, stuck in with uh, this season and feel a little more confident going in. Uh, Daniel Ricardo, uh, I mean, fantastic find for McLaren, um, obviously coming over from Renault last year, um, success wasn't great with Renault and, you know, Daniel Ricardo wants to get a world championship by the end of his career. And, uh, I think McLaren would like to have another world championship in their back pocket. So I, I like the team chemistry there, the two drivers, they're gonna be the funnest team to watch in terms of maybe off the track stuff um, with those two drivers. Uh, but I also think it'll be a lot of fun to watch on the track. Um, as for P2 in the standings, I, I find that hard to believe. Um, but I would, I would love to see it. I think it'd be a really interesting dynamic to the season. And obviously Ted Kravitz knows a lot more about what's going on in F1 than I do. So, I mean, if he's saying they could get P2, then 
you know, I'll, I'll believe it because uh, he knows what he's talking about. So it, it'd be, it'll be really interest, interesting to see um, what goes on there with, with McLaren. Um, like you said, they had a, a very good testing session. They came out of the box very hot. And uh, yeah, you, you didn't hear much from them in day three of testing. But if the case was that they were sandbagging a bit, you could say, um, that'll be interesting to see uh, how much they were sandbagging by and uh, if the other teams were maybe doing the same thing to try and dupe out McLaren or, or dupe out each other. I mean, there's always so many games going on uh, in F1. Of course, and he was their trackside, so obviously there's something to it in, in what he's seen, and he obviously talks to the team members and other journalists around, so I'm sure that there's something to it. I'm Like I said, I'm kind of with you that I'd not necessarily believe that second would be a realistic target for McLaren this season, but from 2022 and beyond, it definitely could be. And obviously, remember McLaren, they are a big team in the end of the day, even though they've been struggling the last few years. But that driver lineup will will serve them very, very well. And honestly, we might not even see so much of the comedy show off track, just because I think both drivers are really seriously focused on this year and, and the task at hand. And I think Ricardo was just talking about how he's going to take him a couple races, just like he did with Renault to get used to the braking of the car. And if you guys remember back to when uh, he first moved to Renault in 2019, that was sort of the one of the struggles that he had that he kind of really corrected by mid season. So I'm very much looking forward to them in 2021. And I think that, as I mentioned in the preview as well to the Bahrain Grand Prix, that if something happens at the front in terms of a collision or reliability issues, I think they'll be right there to capitalize on those mistakes and and possibly maybe even trying to challenge at least a red bull or a mercedes we'll see um but uh i think probably one of the better winter testings that mclaren has had in this decade really no mm. oh, absolutely i mean it's been a long time for them to be back in top three contention um and they were there last year uh they didn't uh end up getting top three if i remember right no they did third uh, place Oh, they were third. Yep. See, I, I know it's so close last year. I wasn't sure if it was Racing Pointer um, or McLaren, but uh, I mean that's that's fantastic for them. Um, they'll have to hope Ferrari is is also down in the dumps. I mean, um, though I'm sure they'll be wanting to get back pretty quickly up the to the top three of the grid. Well, perfect segue then. Let's go yeah, right on go. to Ferrari, <laughs> and this is a team that I found to be one of the more disappointing ones of winter testing and, and we're kind of, you know, combining winter testing as well into this preview, just, you know, basing the teams off of it, but looking at testing and before I had more optimism for them before testing than I do afterwards, just because I thought that the changes that they had made to the, the rear of the car, I thought was probably a good step forward and, and something that was going to help them. They were saying a lot of good things about the new power unit as well. And then when they turned up to testing, yes, the car is improved. The SF21 does look a little bit easier to drive, but comments from the drivers as well, they're saying it's only a little bit better. There's only a little bit more rear stability. There's only a little bit more balance at the front on corner entry. So they're not saying, wow, you know, it's a massive improvement on 2020. And you can tell that even after in the post-race, or not post-race, the post-testing interviews, that both drivers not completely happy just yet. And some of the customer engine teams like Haas and like Alfa Romeo, they're not praising the Ferrari power unit as to be like, wow, this is a massive step forward. I think Gunter Steiner of Haas said that, you know, it's okay, but I'm, I'm not going to say too much more. Um, so it doesn't sound like it's a massive improvement. And if the new Honda power unit and the new Mercedes power unit is better, Ferrari might end up in the same position. So what are your thoughts on Ferrari and 
you just mentioned them in the fight for that third place. Do you think that they'll be able to get that third place back this year? Or are they going to be again behind the likes of McLaren and maybe even Aston Martin Alpine? Well, I mean, who would have thought two, three years ago that we would be saying Ferrari has the worst engine on the grid Yeah, um, because they had the best engine on the grid two years ago, obviously, you know, maybe a little bit of cheat involved there, but that's okay. That's F1. You're allowed to do that. (laughs) (laughs) Um, No, I mean, we would like to see Ferrari get back to it. Um, not promising of what the, their customer teams are saying. Haas and uh, and Alpha um, <laughs> Alpha Romeo almost called them Alpha Tori yeah. for a second. Uh, Alpha Romeo, um, you know they. It's tough because you know they're not going to. They're they're two Italians. Well, not Italian teams, but Haas isn't moving from the Ferrari um, sort of you know partnership they have. And, you know, Alfa Romeo is doing the same. There's no way they're moving from Ferrari engines. So they're stuck. They're going to say, stick with Ferrari engines. Um, will it get better for 2022? I think really that's their goal is to, to get back for 2022. Um, but like you said, this season, um, it, the drivers, you know, they, they know, especially uh, Charles Leclerc, he knows what that car felt like last year. Um, and if he's only saying there's a little bit of, you know, rear stability that's better than last year that's not promising because i mean that car was i mean you could touch it with a with a little feather and it would spin around you know the classic spin ball uh meme that turned out to be last year and and the year before for ferrari um yeah you have to think of carlos Sainz. i mean he's coming from mclaren who had a great car last year now moves to ferrari in what was supposed to be a massive step up in his career and he's probably fighting for really the same position he has been for the last three years um, which for him would be very frustrating, but I think it gives a setup and a lineup for these for Ferrari that they can use for two to three years. Now, Mick Schumacher would come into debate there eventually, but um, I think that this is kind of the, the the two drivers they can use to learn the car this year, uh, maybe manipulate some some testing f- and and work for the 2022 car and really come back for the 2022 season. I won't give up where I have them uh, in the predictions for uh, for my predictions just yet, as we'll get to that shortly. But um, it's going to be tough for them to get back into the top three contention this year, in my opinion. Yeah, I would probably agree with that. And and at the moment, it seems like they're definitely behind the likes of McLaren and then probably even throw in Alpine and those other midfield teams. So we'll see where they end up. Obviously, Bahrain, a very good test for the new engine in comparison to the rivals because it is such a power-sensitive circuit. But I think that uh, it's not close yet with Ferrari, and I think third place will be tough for them, just like you said. So um, we'll see see where they end up, but hopefully that they can kind of turn things around just for uh, the team's sake and the new driver's sake and and the whole (laughs) Tifosi fan base as well. Uh, It's been a couple of uh, difficult years for sure. Uh, so almost rounding out the midfield teams, we've got uh, one or two more left. Uh, let's talk a little bit about the rebranded team. I guess you call them Alpine, formerly as Renault, who had actually very solid uh, winter testing. Uh, very good lap times, really no issues. I mean, we're always used to seeing Renault with some sort of issues during winter testing, whether engine or electrical, things like that. But they were really smooth, and, and the pace was actually pretty solid as well. Both drivers very positive, very happy with the comments. So where do you see Alpine fitting into this midfield battle? They obviously had a really good 2020. They got a two-time world champion in the car right now alongside Esteban Ocon, who made good progressions toward the end of last year. Where are they going to fall in the pecking order? Well, it's very interesting dynamic for Alpine because I think they brought Fernando Alonso back 
for the next generation of cars for the 2022 cars. And this year is kind of a, uh, not a null and void year, but you know, it's a team dynamic learning year, I would say to try and get these drivers working together, working with the team and, and how they can improve, um, maybe some of the off track stuff or, or, or behind the scenes stuff to get ready for their big push in 2022. Um, I don't think their big focus is this year. Um, but it'll be interesting to see how they do. Obviously a couple of podiums last year with Daniel Ricardo will be important for Esteban Ocon to try and, um, match the pace of Fernando Alonso. That's a big name he's got going on, uh, with his teammates and it can be a real career boost for Ocon if he can match Alonso or come close or even beat Alonso in this year's driver's standings. Um, for Fernando, uh, it, it's awesome to see him coming back into the sport. Um, I think F1 is better with Fernando Alonso. I'm just very worried that we're going to have the same situation we had with McLaren when he moved over and he takes a little too much control of Alpine. Uh, and that would be something if I was Alpine, I'd be watching out for and learning from, from the McLaren scenario because we saw how that ended up and it was just messy. Um, and it tarnished McLaren for a few years. So it's going to be interesting to see this year. I don't know if I see them fighting at the top of the midfield. I'm sure they'll be great and they'll have a couple of great races. Um, but like I said, I think their focus really is, is working toward the 2022 car and setting themselves up for the future rather than uh, trying to get, you know, as, as far as they can up the grid, obviously they will be trying, but you know, I don't think all their you know, R and D is, is focused into this year. I think that would be the smart way to go to try and really position themselves for 2022, whether that means stopping development earlier this season. I know Fernando Alonso has been pushing them to start work on the car for 2022 as early as January 1st of this year. But you bring up an excellent point about the off-track things. We've, they've had a very dramatic off-season with Surreal Abitbull essentially leaving the whole Renault group, not just the Formula One management team, but the entire Renault group as well. So we're not exactly sure what happened there. It came as a big surprise to Esteban Ocon, one of the drivers, and a lot of people around the F1 world. So they got a bunch of new management in place right now. I don't think they actually have a designated team principal. Uh, I think that's Alpine's the team that has that situation, so they're kind of going to share it around. And and obviously, we, we know that Alonso's a very imposing character and an imposing figure. Now, the good news is that a lot of the engineers are pretty much the same as were at Enstone when he was with Renault back in the early days in 2005 and six when he won the world championship. So maybe that will help a little bit more than it did with McLaren. But <laughs> you never know. Renault's always kind of a sketchy team for me in terms of that management side of things. So that's maybe more of my concern in terms mm-hmm. of are they going to bottle that side of things rather than the, than the on-track stuff. No, absolutely. I mean, we've seen uh, throughout the years that they have they have the hype and then they don't live up to it. And, you know, it, it's it's just been constant for the, for that reason for Renault. Um, and they've really had, they've made progress, but they haven't, you know, teetered over the edge of, of breaking through. And I don't think, I don't, I don't see them doing that this year. Um, I, I don't mind the rebrand to Alpine. Um It'll be interesting to see how they use that for next season. And I, I was surprised they just didn't see, save it for next season. They started to rebrand this year. Yeah. Um, but anyways, that's uh, another topic, I guess. Um, so, yeah, it's got to be the off-track stuff for Rhino that they've really got to get sorted, figured out, and make their push for 2022, in my opinion. Yep, I would agree with that. 
And just quickly, just to wrap up on Alpine, Fernando Alonso already starting the mind game saying that he is better driver than Hamilton and Verstappen. So, which I mean, obviously, what, what else would he say? And, and I wouldn't. Equal engines? Yeah, yeah, that too. <laughs> I 100% believe that uh, he believes that he is the best. Um, now, whether you believe that is obviously to your opinion. And maybe let us know in the comments below. But I'm very much looking forward to if that car, the A521, can mix it up with those two and the rest of the midfield. That's that's what I'm looking forward to with Alonso because his last few seasons before his first retirement, um, he wasn't really mixing it up with those guys. So I hope that changes for this season. Um, now, moving on to another team, a direct rival to Alpine, which is another newly rebranded team, and that's the Canadian-owned Aston Martin team. <laughs> Very interesting dynamic with a iconic British uh, manufacturer owned by a Canadian consortium of billionaires by Lawrence Stroll. And they've got a new driver this year, obviously, Sebastian Vettel, the four-time world champion, and Lance Stroll as well, partnering Sebastian. Now, in terms of where they fall in the pecking order, I think at the moment they're probably ahead of Alpine, and maybe they're right behind McLaren or sort of on pace with McLaren. Let's not forget that Racing Point, which is now Aston Martin. It's an evolution of that car. And they essentially would have had third place last year had it not been for that 15-point penalty. Now, testing wasn't great for them because they had a lot of reliability issues. The th uh, second least amount of laps completed behind Mercedes or in front of Mercedes. And Vettel didn't get a lot of time in the car as well. So there's going to be a transition period. But I don't think we can write them off, obviously, this early. We can't do that at all. So where, again, where do you see them slotting in into that midfield battle? I still think that their package is probably at that level of McLaren um, if we're going off of basically what is the carryover from 2020. Yeah, you mentioned the, the amount of laps in testing. I, that, I think that is the biggest issue uh, for Aston Martin this year. Um, and I think we're going to see that in the first three races of the season. I think we're going to see them have maybe not a struggle, but maybe not show their true potential in the first three races of the season as Vettel gets accustomed to the new car. And uh, same with, with Lance Stroll. I mean, um, they will want to hash out those reliability issues. And uh, I think I'll take a few races, uh, hopefully only a few races for them uh, to, to figure out. But I, I have a lot of belief in this Aston Martin team. Uh, they got the money to back themselves. Um, obviously, Aston Martin's a huge brand. And you know that they'll be wanting to showcase you know, the Aston Martin brand, they're making a comeback, uh, in terms of everywhere in racing. They obviously they've been in a lot of GT, um, and the GT car is always the nicest looking on the track. So, yeah. uh, it makes sense for them to have one of the nicest looking F1 cars on the track with that livery, man, it's fantastic. Um, but uh, I see them, like you said, right up there with McLaren, um, and ahead of Alpine and ahead of Ferrari, I would say as well, yes. uh, depending on where you have Ferrari, I guess. Um, fighting for that third place position. And uh, like you said, that penalty last year really hurt them. Uh, Sergio Perez, you know, going out of the last race, that, that hurt it as well, uh, their fight for for third. Um, but, uh, I mean, they have a lot of potential and they've done really well over the last few seasons of creating a car that can contend and be very fast at certain tracks and, you know, very slick uh, through the air. So hopefully that continues for Aston Martin be interesting to see how Vettel transitions uh, just through the fact, you know, he's been Ferrari for so long, but uh, he he's had that tr transition before going Red Bull to Ferrari. Um, so hopefully in this case, it'll be a smooth transition for Vettel and uh, kind of use him as a mentor for Lance and the rest of the team. I think there's some good leadership and good guidance that he can provide to that Aston Martin team that he's seen through Red Bull and through Ferrari over the years. 
Yeah, I'm not too concerned with them as a team as I would be with maybe some of the others with the lack of running. Uh, mm -hmm. Obviously, for for Fettel, it's it's not an ideal situation, and he's not panicking yet. Obviously, but like you said, it might take him just a couple of races to get up to speed. But I do think that he will have a fairly successful season with Aston Martin, and will kind of lay the groundwork for for a good couple of years with them. And I also think you have to consider too that this Aston Martin, the AMR 21, does have the 2020 Mercedes suspension and the gearbox. I mean, it's not necessarily a green Mercedes. It's obviously their own car, but they do take some of those Mercedes parts from the W11 last year, which is not a bad car to take some parts from as it was mm -hmm. the fastest ever in F1 history. So I think they'll be strong. We saw last year too, they kind of started off slow in the first two, three races, but uh, eventually found their footing very strongly uh, right away. So I think that they'll be okay this season. And I definitely would rank them ahead of Ferrari and Alpine and put them up there with McLaren. So we'll get to a little bit more in our predictions of where we see them officially and what they can do. But uh, a lot of hype around it. And I think that it's a very good future, bright future ahead for them. And uh, I'm just very curious to see how the drivers will work together, especially uh, Sebastian in the new car. So very excited for that. Um, okay. Well, I, yep. Just touch you on that quickly, Chris. I, I think that they'll have a good dynamic between the two of them. I think they'll work well together, yeah. um, which is important for having teammates. Um, but a lot of people are still counting Sebastian Vettel as old and out of the sport and that he's lost his edge. And I think this is an important year for, for Vettel to show people that, uh, he's still Sebastian Vettel, the four time world champion and, uh, can, can nurse a car and, and bring a car up the grid as fast as he can. And I mean, there was so much drama last year with Ferrari. Um, I haven't watched the drives to survive episode with, with him, the whole Ferrari debacle, but, uh, you know, I've heard some things and how messy it was. Um, so I think it'll be nice to, for him to have a fresh start and all that craziness out of his mind. Another team that seems like they're on the outskirts looking in, but might be finally within the fight in that top six is Alpha Tauri. And they mm -hmm. had a very impressive winter testing building off of a very strong 2020. They've got one of three rookies in their second seat with Yuki Sonoda, who really made headlines on the final day of testing, going second fastest and, you know, setting fastest laps, exchanging them with Verstappen and Raikkonen, which is very exciting to see. So in terms of, first of all, Yuki Sonoda, we talked about this a lot last year in the podcast that we didn't think that he was ready. We think he could have used an extra season of F2. Maybe he's proving us wrong. I think that he's very promising. He's got a lot of hype around him. Some people are going as far as saying, you know, they expect him to replace Perez by half a season, which I, I think is crazy. I think you guys need to slow down a little bit there. Uh, he's got a big task to try and beat Pierre Gasly. But what do you think of Yuki Tsunoda so far? And can Alpha Tauri actually get within the top six this year and instead of sort of being the, the C-class in a way of, of that top 10 standings? Yeah, I mean, again, very impressive uh, testing by them. They had a great season last year. Obviously, Pierre winning was phenomenal. And really almost a perfect year last year for Alpha Tauri. Um, it'll be interesting to see, like you said, how Sonoda does. There's a lot of hype. I still think he could have used another year in F2, but I, I, hey, I'm not, I'm not part of Red Bull. I don't know what their plan is. And, you know, I, I'm sure uh, in their minds, he's ready for it. And uh, we'll see in the, la in the first few races if he is actually ready for F1. Um, he has a lot of hype. He's a very good driver. He was fantastic last year in F2. And, um, you know, I think he does have a lot of potential. I don't think he's going to replace Perez midseason. That's, that's the, the, the whole problem Red Bull has had over the last three, four seasons is, is promoting these young guys too quick and, and not working out well. And never, you know, thinking they're the next Max Verstappen and, and, you know, no one really is the next Max Verstappen so far that we've seen. Right. 
So that won't happen. I can, I'll, I'll put a wager on it that that won't happen. Um, if anyone goes up, it's Pierre, in my opinion. Um, and, but, it, it, sorry. No, sorry. I just wanted to jump in there. And even mm. if you read uh, part of Pierre's uh, Players Tribune article that he wrote just recently, even that doesn't seem like it's likely to happen because there seems like there's some friction between the two parties. And uh, Pierre was, just wasn't appreciative of the way he was handled at Red Bull, which I think he has a legitimate argument. So potentially a spot at Alpine if Esteban Ocon doesn't uh, live up to expectations. But yeah, continue. Uh, I, that would make sense completely. Uh, I haven't read that article yet, but I saw it uh, published and that'll probably be my afternoon read today. Um, but yeah, no, I mean, it'll be interesting to see exactly how it turns out this season for AlphaTauri. You know, they have either really good races or they're, you know, irrelevant during the race. Um, so it just depends on, on what track favors each other. Um, you know, it's going to be a learning experience for Yuki. Um, awesome to see a, a Japanese driver back uh, in the in the F1 grid, and obviously Honda you know, has been supporting him a lot because uh, he is Japanese and everything like that. Um, but I don't know if they can break the top six this year. They're too inconsistent, in my opinion, um, to do that because of how good the top six are. Um, and I feel like there is a, a gap in terms of consistency between the top six and maybe the bottom four. Um, but in the end, uh, you know, I think they're going to have a few of those wonder races where, you know, I, I would think they would get another podium this year. You know, I could 100% see that. Uh, but at the same time, um, you know, they could have a lot of no points finishes as well. Um, and, you know, the whole Sonoda going, setting fastest laps at the end of, of day three. Yeah, but how much fuel was he running? Were they pushing the car to the limit just to, to build the confidence a little bit of Yuki? Because I could see that uh, absolutely just, a, you know, a young driver coming in. Like, let's get this guy's confidence as high as we can going into the season. So lots of question marks uh, there going on, but it'll be a, a fun team to follow uh, for this season, coming out with two very talented young drivers. That's a good point. And that was their big issue in 2020 was that consistency. And like you said, when they were good, they were really good. But if, if they weren't, then... They were finishing outside the point. So that can, <clears throat> excuse me, that consistency will be key if they want to actually try and even finish further than six. You know, six was their highest ever finish as Toro Rosso and, and now Alpha Tauri. But yeah, I think that that's an excellent point too on the Sonoda front that we don't know what program, what, what fuel engine modes that they're running. And, and it's very likely that it was just to kind of go out there and give Yuki a boost. Um, so I think that although very promising and it seems like he'll be able to live up to the hype, uh, I think that Pierre will still be that team leader and number one driver there until maybe the middle of the season. But that's kind of the, the expectation there for them is for Yuki to be up to speed by sort of the middle of the season. So we'll see what happens with them. But they got a good package and they seem to be one of many teams to actually improve so far on 2020. So let's see let's see how it plays out for, for Alpha Tauri. Now, finishing off in the standings here, we got Alfa Romeo, Williams, and Haas left. I just wanted to quickly touch on Alfa Romeo to say another team that seemingly improved on their form in 2020. Of course, Raikkonen was was setting uh, some fastest laps as well for him, but they had the most laps uh, tied with Alfa Tauri, actually, with 422. So at least the Ferrari engine is reliable. And the car, the package just seems to be better. They've upgraded the nose as well to go with the more narrow design, which has been popular in the last couple of years. I still see Alfa Romeo slotting in behind the likes of Alfa Tauri, sort of hovering around in that eighth place. To me, I don't think that they've made enough steps forward like they did, uh, you know, for example, in 2018 when they were Sauber to try and maybe get further up the grid. Uh, but I do think that they'll be 
punching a little bit above their weight with more points finishes this year with the package that they got in 2021. Yeah, and they have no driver changes. One of the only teams to have no driver changes going into the 2021 season. So, I mean, Giovinazzi, I think this is a make or break year for him, um, whether he stays in F1. Um, and Kimi Raikkonen, you know, he wants to race forever. So, um, <laughs> and I'm okay with that because I love Kimi Raikkonen. Yeah. Um, so, I mean, they have a good team dynamic and, and that time, you know, that sort of, there's, there's no um, grace period of trying to figure out how uh, the car works or, um, how you know certain people work with each other. I mean, they, they can go off right off the back. So I think what we're going to see is a hot start from Alfa Romeo. We, we've seen that in years past where the first five races of the season, we're like, oh, look at this team. You know, they're doing well. And then they don't really get their development going in the midseason stuff. And they kind of slowly simmer down the grid a little bit. Um, I think they'll have some great races. I mean, Kimmy had some awesome races last year. Um, and in the same sense of, you know, Alpha Alpha Tori is, is hot and cold. Alpha Romeo are also hot and cold in my opinion. So be again, an interesting team to watch. Uh, I think a lot of uh, interest on the Giovinazzi front. If, if he can break out this year, he's a very talented driver, but you know, that Ferrari seat is getting harder and harder to crack now with Mick Schumacher coming in and uh, you know Nikita Mazepin and you have Armstrong in F2 uh, who's who's very talented as well um you have Cameron Eilat down in F2 who's also a Ferrari Academy driver who's very talented so uh, if Giovinazzi really wants to try and impress and crack a top seat team uh, in Ferrari um yeah, he's going to have to really have a, a flyer of a season yeah for sure and and then the final two teams let's start with Williams seem like they improved so far on 2020 form um definitely i still think that they're not at the moment yet where they'll be able to fight for uh you know between the likes of alpha male or alpha towery but let's see they might be able to positively surprise us this year but regardless i do think that they've had a very good start to the season and they're one of their best preseason testings in many many years considering all the issues in that team they just hired a brand new uh technical director they hired a former uh volkswagen technical development uh management um very highly rated to help them out they've obviously got the new management the brand new investment they completed a healthy amount of laps with really no issues during testing so positive things from williams i think that they won't be last this year <laughs> i think that that will end up being uh, Haas this year just because of uh in terms of the development and williams are already sort of bringing some upgrades to this first race already so overall it just seems like williams are moving in a positive direction it might not be any headlines in 2021 but i do think that they'll be able to squeeze in maybe a points finisher too yeah, I think that we'll see Latifi and Russell get points this year, uh, which is important um, in a Williams seat, not in a Mercedes seat. <laughs> right. uh, but um, an important year for George, uh, depending on what happens with Valtteri this year. I mean, you have to think that this is his stepping stone year to move up to the Mercedes for 2022. Um, and for Nicholas Latifi, it's a, it's a year that, you know, he's now had his rookie season in F1. He won rookie of the year last year, which is a huge, you know, huge positive for him. Um, yeah, I know he's the only rookie, but still doesn't matter. <laughs> still still counts. Yeah. <laughs> um, but, uh, you know, it, this is a good year for Latifi to now be very comfortable in a Williams car and to push his brand a little bit more. And, you know, we saw how good his race pace is, um, last season and how, you know, he could stay there in race pace wise. It's the Saturday he really has to work on. And of course he's up against Mr. Saturday. So he's got a big, you know, a big fight against him in that qualifying position. But 
Um, it's, I think it'll be important for Latifi to get out of Q3 uh, a few times this season and to push up the grid uh, during the races. I mean, he's one of the best on lap one and uh, he'll have to use that again. Like you said, uh, Williams, um, I also don't have him last. Uh, we'll, we'll put that in uh, the season predictions, but um, it'll be nice to see them have more development, more investment, and to see that Williams car back up the grid. I hope they get a main sponsor because right now there's not really not much going on in the uniforms. The uniforms look dull. Yeah. Uh, but uh, I think their livery is fantastic. It looks kind of a, it's edgy. It's edgy. Uh, to to put it, to say the least, um, but no, I I want Williams to do well. One because I like George, and there's a Canadian driver involved, uh, so always got to cheer for the Canadian drivers. But two, just because of the legacy Williams has, uh, we always want to see them do well. And it's the first year the family's not involved. I know, but uh, still, that that Williams legacy hopefully will carry on through the future. Yeah, and I think it is the right direction that they're moving. As as great as the family history was it sort of needed to be brought up to speed with with the modern demands of F1 and with the Doralton Capital investment and, you know, Josh Capito was also joining the team. I think that they've got moving in the right direction at the moment. So big things expecting from them in 2022, but I think a solid 2021 is on the horizon for them. So very excited to see what they could do. And finally, we round out our top 10 with, of course, Haas. And uh, we left Haas for last uh, just because... It's how they ended up, but it's where we kind of expect them to be this season. Obviously, building off of a very difficult 2020 year, they've already announced that they're not really going to develop the car much this year, which really is the smart way to go to try and focus on 2022 and get themselves back within the top six, which they weren't there, you know, that many years ago back in 2018. Of course, we got uh, the rookies, Nikita Mazepin and Mick Schumacher. Got my, got my uh, Mick Schumacher That's coaster, a nice coaster over there. Yeah, I will send some uh, your way uh, when uh, when we get together. Uh, <laughs> this is part of uh, a couple of the giveaways that uh, we gave away during live stream testing. And uh, of course, all the support that we've gotten, we'll be able to do more of these. But let's talk a little bit about Haas. And really, there's not much to expect. I think that they'll be lucky to get a points finish here or there like they did last season. It's tough for the rookies because it's going to be hard to analyze them because of the car difficulties. Uh, drivability won't necessarily be there. Ferrari power units, still some big question marks. But at the very least, the battle between the two rookies will be interesting to see how it plays out and how each of them get along. Uh, of course, Mazepin, focusing on, not on the off-track side of things, but on-track has had uh, somewhat of a history. Mick is coming in, obviously, highly rated, a lot of hype. F2 champion as well. So he's got a lot of expectations to live up to. But what's your outlook for Haas uh, in 2021? Well, I mean, they start off the controversy right away with their livery. I mean, yeah. flying the Russian flag on the American car and, you know, how the Russian flag isn't allowed to be used this year and you know, what flags Mazepin going to go fly under. Anyways, it, it, there's going to be a lot of drama surrounding Haas this year. And I feel really bad for Mick Schumacher because this is should be a year where you know he grows into the sport and can focus on track but i feel like he's going to be dealing with a lot of off-track stuff uh unfortunately um i still don't agree with the nikita mazepin uh driver's seat i think that one should have gotten cameron eilat or at least you bring magazine or grosjean back um but we'll, we'll see how he does this year um you know is he going to be a one and done because of the off-track stuff that has happened in his career um, or is he going to stick around F1? I mean, it'll be interesting to see what happens over on that side of things, but let's not focus on him. Let's focus on the team. Um, Steiner, of course, back again this year. And like you said, focusing on 2022 and um, it's smart for the team, but uh, I mean, that's the means we're going to have 
uh, a very uh, poor performing Haas, I think this year. And that sucks to see because, you know, they're a small team and uh, you want to see them do well. But at the same time, I can understand where their budget needs to go to 2022 to look at the future rather than focus on, uh, on this year where they're using it as a rebuild year, bringing the rookies and try and build something for the future. I think Mick Schumacher is going to be a you know, fantastic F1 driver in the future. It'll be a good year for him to learn the, you know, learn the, what an F1 car really you know, can, can go through for a year. Um, the travel schedule, um, just the hype that comes behind F1, all the media and stuff like that. Uh, it'll be really important for him to have that learning experience. But uh, like you said, it's going to be a struggle for Haas this year. But uh, hopefully, you know, they have at least a few races where we can see you know, Mick get some points. Absolutely. And just seeing a Schumacher back on the grid will obviously be very special in a couple of days time when we see his name up on the timing tower. But I really like how he went with the MC, uh, MSC, sorry, yeah. <laughs> rather than the, uh, like this, uh, an SCH or something like that, that, that was pretty cool to see back on the timing calendar. Yeah, no, I, I just, you know, for, for just focusing on him as a driver, but also just as a person, like he's just bringing so much positivity into Haas mm-hmm. and also just the F1 grid as well. Like he's just so excited to be driving, you know, he's always posting photos of him wanting to get back on the track. And, you know, there's a lot of similarities that some of the Haas team members, or excuse me, some of the Ferrari team members that have moved to Haas this season have already picked up on between him and his father, of course. So I'm just happy to see that he's on the grid and I hope that he'll have a, a good season and where he can learn a lot. And then afterwards, we'll see what happens. We're not going to hype him up too much. Of course, you know, he's his own man. He's his own driver. Um, and curious to see where he'll end up in the future. But at the very rate, I think Haas, uh, they're in that difficult position. I think Netflix had touched on that a little bit of just how much they need that financial, you know, cash injection at the moment, which is why we got the Mazepin situation <laughs> and my probably why we're going to end up with it for the next couple seasons. But like you said, we'll see what happens with them. Um, but I, it'd be nice to see them back fighting in the top six like they were just not too long ago. Um, but I think we'll have to wait another year or two uh, in order for that to happen. So that rounds out uh, all the top teams there and, and all the top 10 teams. And hopefully uh, we covered everybody's favorite team just a little bit, given our input. Now, just to wrap the show today, just going to get into a little bit of our predictions and things that we're looking forward to. Now, I know you wrote down your sort of top 10 <laughs> constructor standings. I did not. I did not come as prepared as you did. Uh, <laughs> but I do have some thoughts on at least the, the top five and some other things. So I'll just start with you. If you want to go through your top 10, you're more than welcome to do so. What are your predictions for 2021 this season? And uh, what are we going to get from this season in racing? Well, I think we're going to have a fantastic season uh, this year. 23 races uh, on the on the calendar so far. Um, we didn't get to touch on the calendar this year uh, yet, but I think we're going to see some changes right now. For those of you who don't know, Canada has a two-week quarantine period of uh, when you enter uh, the country. Um, so if you, you know the teams are coming from Monaco, they'll have to spend two weeks in Canada quarantine before they can go out of their hotels to do anything. So that's going to be, need to be lifted if the Canadian Grand Prix is going to want to stay um, or the Canadian Grand Prix is going to have to get moved to when the, you know, the same kind of area when the U S and Mexican Grand Prix are. So I think that's the biggest change we might see this season um, in terms of scheduling wise. Uh, but I'll get to the predictions. Um, so first I've got, I've got Mercedes. Uh, I think they're going to just have another great year um, end out their you know, this era, uh, on top and, and dominate sweep that, you know, they'll be wanting to sweep the era. Mm-hmm. That's a huge legacy to have for them. 
And in a close second, I have Red Bull because I think they're going to have a fantastic season. Um, they looked great during preseason and testing, like we said. Um, in P3, this is where maybe we might disagree, but I got Aston Martin P3. Um, I think they're going to have a, a fantastic year. They got the driver to do it or the drivers to do it. And uh, it's going to be a very close battle between them and McLaren, who I have in, in P4. So I, those will be interchangeable, I think. Uh, but it's going to be a, a very interesting to watch uh, those two teams go at it because McLaren have uh, just as much firepower as Aston Martin. They've got great drivers and a great uh, team behind them as well. Uh, in P5, I have Ferrari. I think that uh, they'll be a little bit better than last season, uh, but not breaking that top uh, top four kind of grid area. Um, hopefully they can rebound in 2022 because we always want to see that uh, that flying red car or with a little bit of green this year, which looks terrible uh, at the uh, <laughs> top of the grid. But uh, it'll be an interesting year for Ferrari. In P6, I have Alpine. I just, I I don't know... Uh, I'm not confident enough to have Alpine in the top five. I just don't know what they're going to end up being. And that's why I have them in P6. They could, you know, very fairly be up in the top five, but I just, I don't feel that confidence there yet. Um, in P7, I have AlphaTauri. I think they'll have a solid year again. Won't crack that top six, unfortunately, but they do have uh, a lot of, you know, good pieces around them. Uh, like we said, a car that can be great, but can also be awful at the same time. Um, in P8, I have Alfa Romeo. They have the veteran drivers there that can nurse that car into P8 in the constructors, in my opinion. They'll have a couple of great races, but nothing special to, to boost them over Alfa Torre. In P9, as we both said, I got Williams. I think they'll have a nice rebound year this year and finally get out of that last position that they've been in for the last few years. And in P10, I have Haas because I just think it's a full-on rebuild for them, and we'll see. Um you know, what, what that transpires from their, this season for them, but I don't think it will be nothing, nothing special. Yeah. And honestly, mine aren't too very far in terms of my top five. Um, just a couple of things that I would change around in my top five. So I agree that I, I still going to say Mercedes and Red Bull one and two, um, but I do think it'll be close, probably separated by less than 20 points and we'll get a mm. close championship throughout the whole race calendar. Now, nice. yeah, that would be very nice. And just to summarize essentially this whole podcast is like i honestly don't care who wins the championship as long as it's close that's that's yeah. it as long as it's close that's that's what we've been hoping for and close all the way to the end hopefully the championship is decided in the final race or the final two races mm-hmm. um so that's i also say that too just to not jinx it because i'm hoping that it's red bull <laughs> but i don't want to say it's red bull because then it'll end up just being mercedes again so that's my one and two so mercedes i have red bull and i actually agree with you i go aston martin third uh, you know, I, I've bought into the hype, literally and figuratively. <laughs> uh, I think that Sebastian Vettel will surprise everybody positively, and we'll see his, some of his old form return to him. And I also just think that that team has, they did so much with so little for so many years. And now that they have such massive, uh, you know, funding behind them, and also just resources and everything they're putting into it, I think will be a great step forward for them as well, considering where they were in 2020, which was such a good position. Then I have McLaren in fourth, very close behind. I agree with you. I think that's going to be interchangeable all season long, and that's going to come down to a very close finish. And then in fifth, I actually have Alpine. I'm going to put Alpine in my top five because, excuse me, I got a lot of faith in Fernando Alonso this year. I think he's going to be absolutely excellent on top of his game and showing everybody that we really missed Alonso in the last couple of years. I think Ocon will be strong as well, but overall, I think Alonso is just going to overshadow him 
over a 23 race calendar. So that means that I got put Ferrari in sixth just because I'm not optimistic about Ferrari. And uh, I don't think that they've made really enough progressions to sort of move off of where they were last season. We'll see what happens. I could be wrong, but I think that I'll put them in sixth for 2021. And then sort of the rest of the way, I would agree with with the rankings that you had as well with Alpha Tauri, Alpha Romeo, and then uh, Williams and Haas. I don't see after sixth place, I think it's more predictable basically a top six it's really a toss-up this season as to where each team is going to finish and i think it'll be the closest midfield battle we've ever seen and hopefully a very close championship as well that we've seen and now just to wrap up before we we finish off for for this podcast what are some things that you're expecting to happen in the season maybe some crazy predictions in terms of race winners or podiums i think that just to throw a couple out there for me i think we should expect to see daniel ricardo on the podium this year I think we'll expect to see Sebastian Vettel on the podium this year. Now, do you have anything more to throw in there? Maybe some crazy race winners? I mean, we, we could get another exciting season like last year where we had a lot of unexpected podium finishers. My, my wild prediction is that we will have five teams win a race this year. Wow. 2012, five. eh? <laughs> yeah. So if you can kind of figure out who that is, it's um it's all it'll be the top five in my standing so i mercedes red bull mm-hmm. ashton martin mclaren and ferrari i think ferrari end up winning one race this year couldn't tell you what race it's going to be but i think there'll be some sort of there's 23 races this year you know anything's possible yeah um and uh you know i'm interested to see i think we'll have at least one missile launch uh this year <laughs> which will be interesting. <laughs> um, whether that happens in Saudi Arabia, who knows? Yeah. Um, and um, also, just uh, what are your thoughts on Saudi Arabia uh, on, on the track? Because the track looks fantastic. I'm, I had a quick conversation on Twitter with Tim Haraney, a uh, friend of the show. Um, and uh, you know, he was saying that there's going to be three DRS zones, but I, I just don't know if there's a lot of room for overtaking. It looks like a fun track to drive, but... Yeah, like... A- Obviously, when I saw it first or when I just saw the track layout, I was like, what the hell is this? There was like 30 corners or something. Now, the onboard, yeah, it looks cool. It's high speed, but it's very narrow for a high speed circuit. So I'm a little bit concerned in terms of accidents. Uh, You know, there's even seems like a less of a margin than there is in Baku in terms of how narrow it is. And it's even faster than Baku in certain sections, basically Mm -hmm. in all sections of the track. So much like every street circuit, I don't see many, many overtakes happening. Uh, and I think it's going to just be even harder with it being such high speed. So I don't know. Let's see. Uh, let's see what it's going to look like. I believe it is a night race. Yeah. So I'm sure it's going to look spectacular. But in terms of the racing itself, uh, yeah, I don't think it's going to be very great. Yeah, I would agree with you. Um, but I didn't get your opinion on it, so I wanted to hear it. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. So those are, my, I guess, my two big predictions uh, this year, and that we will have uh, maybe for fun, we'll have one driver fisticuff. <laughs> I think we'll have, a, we'll have a little fisticuff going down, uh, NASCAR style. <laughs> yeah, yeah, hopefully. It, there's certainly a lot of very uh, potential fiery partnerships within the teams, but also the rest of the grid as well. I think you've got guys like Alonso and Verstappen, who drivers who don't give an inch. And then also you throw in Ricardo as well, who who's a very excellent racer, wheel to wheel. Yeah, I, I think uh, main theme of this whole podcast has just been that 2021 could be a very excellent season. I just uh, hope that it lives up to the hype and that it's not going to be like maybe 2019 where we thought it was going to be another excellent championship. But this one just feels a little bit different. I think that the new rule changes have thrown possibly a spanner into the works and we might get something very special this year. 
I think that you know the fact that we had last season be unpredictable as well and so many crazy things happened last season that you know it gives hope for this season where in compared to 2019 you know it was just Mercedes dominance and we were really just hoping that you know in 2019 it was going to be something a little bit different but it didn't end up being that um where now we have a little bit of a taste of what F1 should be um in terms of everyone you know being so close to each other and you know having multiple race winners uh it, it, with teams and, and your surprise winners um you know that'd be fantastic so we'll see it's gonna be a fun year it's gonna be a fun year to follow and uh some interesting tracks on the grid um ah, it's gonna be great i can't wait yeah me too and and that's only a couple days away by the time this podcast goes out uh, it'll pretty much just be one day away until free practice and then obviously qualifying and the race. So the first uh, first two months of the schedule isn't too bad, actually. After this race, it's uh, next one's in Imola on April the 18th. And then as soon as we hit May, it's going to really pick up with about three races per month going up until all the way till the summer break and then afterwards as well. So very, very busy schedule this year. Obviously, we'll see how many races we actually get in, but it seems like we'll be able to get in most of them. And we've got some of those exciting new tracks like Portimao, and Imola returning this season, so it should be very, very exciting. We'll finally have a Dutch Grand Prix as well. Yes, which is in fantastic. Yeah, that will be exciting for sure. And and one uh, hopefully we'll see a lot of fans in, in the Orange Army out in full force there. Uh, but that'll do it for for us today in the 2021 season preview uh hopefully you guys uh enjoyed this podcast and, and got a little bit of our thoughts into it as well jump in the comments below and let us know your predictions for this season your top 10 constructors uh, standings top 10 driver standings and any of the other kind of stipulations you think might happen in terms of surprise race winners or podium sitters schedule for us in the next coming days like we mentioned off the top we got the live stream on saturday for the qualifying watch along we are live 10 30 a.m eastern time uh, it's on the homepage of our YouTube channel, so you can set yourself a reminder, and then you can tune in with us. Tyler will be joining me as well, and uh, just have to confirm if Shaker's going to pop on as well. But regardless, you got both of us for sure confirmed, so we'll just be live streaming along, watching qualifying. We'll probably do maybe a little bit more of a formal commentary team like we used to do in the good old uh, college days. <laughs> uh, to uh, I know uh, during testing live stream, a lot of people weren't happy with the official uh, F1 commentators. So uh, hopefully you guys will enjoy our coverage of that. And then afterwards, we'll just maybe do a quick post-qualifying debrief show. Uh, any final thoughts then, Tyler, before we uh, send it off for today? No, I mean, I just want to thank everyone for the amount of support uh, they've given us over the last you know six months. Uh, it's been wild. Shake, or, uh, Chris, you've done a fantastic job with the podcast uh, during the offseason and getting us uh, all those awesome videos. And, you know, to the fans who've subscribed and watched those videos, I mean, it's fantastic. We're over 5,000 subscribers now, which um, is, is an amazing achievement for us. And we're, I know we're very proud of that. So we'll, let's hope it's a big year for, again for the podcast. We thank you all for uh, coming in and you know giving us that support and should be a fantastic year as this podcast grows uh you know we're gonna just pump out even more content and and give you guys some awesome stuff so should be a fun year for us absolutely very much looking forward to it and uh, i echo the same thoughts thank you very much guys for all the support and uh, continued support as well remember if you're not subscribed to us subscribe on youtube also all the alternative platforms that we're on and if you'd like to support the channel personally um, all the proceeds go right back into the channel, so you can find all those links in the description below. For Tyler McDonald, I've been Chris Cato. Thank you very much, everybody, for listening to today's podcast. Enjoy the first race of the season and the season as a whole. We'll see you soon.